from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're doing great out there. It's a sing-songy day. I I like to (laughs) sing things. Oh, you're singing all the time. We both are. It feels, I don't know. I am definitely not a musical theater person, as I right. believe we've talked about before. Oh, yeah. And it does seem unrealistic to have people break out into a perfectly choreographed dance number True. with perfectly rhyming lyrics about exactly <laughs> how they're feeling. However, many times in my own life, you do exactly I that. I do wish very much <laughs> <laughs> for a perfect number. Yeah. Yeah, you wake I mean, up feeling good. Don't you, you want you to have just, your like, own. stretch and jump out of bed and be like, <laughs> another beautiful morning, okay. another all, beautiful day. First of all, first thing in the morning, you have never felt that way. No, it's true. It's the worst <laughs> time of day for you. The least likely time for you to jump up and start singing is first thing in the morning. It's true. I guess something more like 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah, then you're just like a stretching sing out my song work. dancing fool. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, the nighttime is the right time to do the things you want to do. <laughs> the nighttime is the right time to 
Yeah, see, oh. I need a lyricist. I almost thought you guys were going to get a taste for what I, I get around here, but she <laughs> she choked. I couldn't think she of choked with the mic on. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I would love to sing all day here, but we've got a big fat episode today. True. Uh, so we should probably get straight into it. This one was suggested by a woman named Barbara Banks, who's my own wonderful mother. She's <laughs> awesome. A friend of the show as true. well. Very and true. Uh, she's the best. And she sent a link for this story, which uh, names we definitely heard. And it was also sent to us by Allison Oyster. Yeah, Allison um, had also reached out after suggesting this episode because Allison speaks Italian. Uh And after listening to the Carlo Ponti, Sophia Loren episode, Uh uh, wanted to let us know about the name Del Bagno. Sure. Because you had said, of course, being of Italian heritage yourself. Yeah. That you could have had a cool name like Del Bagno. Oh, it's my grandmother's maiden name. That's right. Yeah. But instead she married a Banks and it's kind of like a boring <laughs> name. But Allison writes, just wanted to let you guys know that I speak Italian and Del Bagno literally translates to from the bathroom. Sorry to pop your balloon, Eli. Also, the letters G-N-O are pronounced Nio, so it would <laughs> what... be Del Bagno. Okay. Uh, fair. Yes. And I, I brought this up to my dad and he said... <laughs> Well, not in New Jersey, it's not, (laughs) (laughs) which is where my family was from. So in Jersey, it was Del Bagno. Jersey. You know? The Jersey pronunciation. You say the G. He also says it's, it also translates to of the bath, not necessarily bathroom. And there's, there's even towns in Italy named like uh, Bagno Vignoni, uh, which is like a bath town, you know, where they had these public Mm. bathhouses and things like that. So... Uh, so it's not strictly toilet related. <laughs> Do you think it's like um, when you were named Smith or Candler or something? Oh, yeah. It's like you run the bathhouse, so you're Del Bagno. Maybe so. Or something. Maybe we ran the bathhouse. Yeah, maybe you ran the or bathhouse. Or maybe we just were always taking a poop. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, man, those that family down the street just constantly <laughs> at the toilet. Whoa, more like Giuseppe Del Bagno, am I right? <laughs> Well, thank you, Allison, though, for reaching out. Uh, that was that was a fun point to make. Mm-hmm. And also thank you for adding to the suggestion for Abelard and Heloise, yeah. who we're here to talk about today. Now, this is one of those classic historical love stories full of passion and danger. These are two lovers who fell madly in love and suffered terrible consequences as a result. And like we said, this is a big, fat story from medieval France that just has a lot to it. So I say we just get going and jump right in. Yeah, let's go for it. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. All right, Peter, or Pierre, of course, at the time, but in all literature, he's just referred to as Peter. Mm. Peter Le Palais was born in 1079 in Western France to a French family of minor nobility. He was a fast learner, and his father encouraged him to become an academic rather than joining the military as he had done. Peter was a master of dialectic philosophy, which is this method of philosophical discourse where people with different points of view give reasoned arguments to establish some sort of objective truth. Hmm. Uh, This is kind of like debate, uh, which is obviously the more common form of this sort of discussion. But 
in dialectic discussion, there's not supposed to be any emotional appeals or any rhetoric that might skew the conversation into subjective territory. So just very objective, emotionless, probably pretty pedantic conversations. Real fun stuff. Sounds kind of like peer-reviewed science articles or something where you can't just be like, well, I've just been working on this for a long time, guys. Come on, support my (laughs) hypothesis. (laughs) You can't really do that. (laughs) Yeah, just real hard, cold, objective truths trying to reach a point. So Peter spent his early academic years wandering around France, splitting his time between learning and debating. So super fun time. I'm sure no one could wait for him to show up in town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the circus is in there, town, basically. Right? <laughs> like, like he goes to a tavern, right? And he like kicks open these saloon doors and like old philosophers are like scrambling. They dive over tables to hide. <laughs> oh, no, it's Peter Le Palais. And he says, who here is man enough to tell me how God's divine omniscience is compatible with the belief that we each have the free will to make our own decisions? Yeah, and some cowboy gets up, spurs a jangling. <laughs> He's like, well, I reckon human beings possess rational capacities which other animals do not. And as those capacities are immaterial, they are not governed by physical laws and therefore do not directly interfere with God's plans for the material universe. Yeah. <laughs> and the bartender's like, hey, you two. You better take this outside. <laughs> I ain't having no debates in my tavern. Big shotgun. <laughs> right. And Peter says, well, this is no debate. This is a dialect. <laughs> and everybody groans. <laughs> like, wow. They throw shot glasses at him. <laughs> <laughs> Very pedantic conversations. Mm-hmm. Peter the pedant in oh, town there again. there Around 1100, when he's in his early 20s, Peter ended up in Paris and changed his name to Abelard for debatable reasons. One story says that a mathematics professor who thought Peter was overloading himself with different subjects called him Bailard, meaning lick lard, as in he wants to keep licking the fat even though he's full. And after he mastered geometry and arithmetic... He was like, I'm not a lick lard, I'm a have lard. And he changed the nickname to Abelard. Oh, those clever medieval philosophers. Hilarious. With I know. Their word like, play. What? what a nickname. <laughs> what a story of your nickname. Because so, Peter was full of knowledge, but he was definitely also full of himself. Mm. He once called himself the greatest philosopher of his age. And even today, scholars are like, wow, what a dick. But I mean, you know, he's kind of right. So what are we going to do? <laughs> That's sort of one of the things you don't say about yourself. Right, like yeah. somebody else is supposed to <laughs> say that about you. But if you know, you like know. Like if Meryl Streep was walking around being like, I'm the greatest American actress. I mean, people would be like, sure, Meryl, but <laughs> geez, pretty rude to point it out. Well, are you going to go tell her she's not? I want no. No, exactly. <laughs> Um, So we're not going to get too bogged down in Peter's actual philosophy here, because this will turn into a long, surely fascinating, but tediously intellectual episode. Um, But needless to say, this was a guy who knew he was smart, he thought he was right, and he was probably very frustrating to argue with. Mm. He attended the great cathedral school of Notre Dame de Paris, uh, but this was a few decades before the construction began of the Notre Dame that we know and love today. But it was in the same spot on that little island in the Seine in the middle of Paris. Hmm. Abelard was always outperforming his teachers and he would even upend some of their teachings. Like if they were they had a particular philosophy that was kind of the rule of the time that everyone was using to go by. He threw it out. He came in, debated them, totally humiliated them. And his new philosophies ended up becoming kind of the talk of the town. 
So okay. uh, everybody kind of thought he was hot shit. They all really liked him, except, of course, his predecessors who were teaching him. I was about to say, except his teachers who yeah. were like, um, actually. Because he went full Anakin Skywalker on these guys <laughs> and just like, I am the master now. Once he dominated dialectic philosophy, he decided to switch to theology. So he moved out to Léon and started learning under Anselm of Léon, who's a famous biblical philosopher at the time. But Abelard was bored by his lectures, so he started his own. Once again, against his teacher's wishes. Mm. It's like the opposite of a teacher's pet. Right, yeah, yeah. teacher's monster. (laughs) (laughs) Anselm forbade him from teaching in Léon, so Abelard moved back to Paris. By 1115, he became master of the Cathedral School of Notre Dame. And there, he crossed paths with the most well-educated and intelligent woman in the city of Paris, Heloise d'Argentoy. Now, Heloise's exact birth date and family background are lost to history. But um, we do know that she was born around 1098, making her about 15 to 20 years younger than Abelard. And she was about 17 years old when the two of them first met. I always think this is interesting because we've been seeing more and more in our research for this show Mm -hmm. that, of course, you get men's history much more easily than you get women's history. Oh. You know what I mean? Uh, Definitely. And I think part of that is due to record keeping of the day. Mm -hmm. And part of that is due to like who have historians been digging up to look at this whole time. I read that of this story, one of the reasons that Heloise has been getting a lot of attention in the last couple decades is because historians were specifically trying to balance out women to men in terms of what we have history of, who we study, and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, it would certainly be nice to know a little bit more about the ladies (laughs) of history. So we do know that Heloise was raised by nuns at the convent of St. Marie in Argentoy, not far from Paris, but we're not sure exactly why or how she got there. But she was a star student. She kind of reminds me of Sor Juana de la Cruz in that episode we did Mm -hmm. about her. She was a nun who studied and learned and just mastered every language and literature. And Heloise is very similar. She was fluent in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And before she ever even moved to Paris, she was known as a prodigy in grammar and rhetoric. And she was this incredible writer with a reputation for her intelligence and her insight. In 1115-ish, she left the abbey in Argentoy to move in with her uncle Fulbert, who was the canon of Notre Dame Cathedral. A canon is someone who holds an administrative position within a cathedral. Mm. So it's a pretty powerful position to have. And he continued to teach her. She continued to crush it. And all kinds of abbots and bishops and priests and nuns and any sort of intellectuals, anybody who cared about education, heard about this girl. And much like Sorwana de la Cruz, wanted to come meet her. And like, I just got to spend time with this unintelligent woman. What a fascinating thing. It's like going to the zoo. (laughs) They're like, oh, yes, I have this road trip planned out of we got a three headed calf. We've got an intelligent woman. Uh, I think there's a giant thimble. (laughs) World's biggest ball of twine. (laughs) Exactly. We're going to see them all. Because of their individual reputations, it's likely that Heloise had heard of Abelard. But it's definite that Abelard had heard of Heloise, and he really wanted to meet her just like everybody else. So it's kind of hard to say who made the first move between the two of them. 
Around 1132, Abelard wrote one of the first autobiographical works in medieval Western Europe called Historia Calamitatum, or The History of My Calamities, which, as autobiographical titles go, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Like, I will read it, yeah. Uh, let me take this off the shelf. <laughs> it's written in letter format. It's all about his life up to around his mid-50s, and he talks about his views on women and learning and church and state and how persecuted he always felt by his peers. At one point, he likened his struggles to Jesus. <laughs> so, oh. as we said, a little full of himself. <laughs> now, he says that he had this whole plan for premeditated seduction of Heloise, that he had set up the whole thing because he wanted to get with her. But in her letters from the time, Heloise refers to herself as the instigator, choosing him out of the thousands of men who came through Notre Dame to meet her. But either way, he meets her and he's like, Yowza, this girl is brilliant. In all of his writings, he focuses more on her intelligence and talents than he ever gets into about her looks. He's like, oh, oh, Heloise, she's just, she's got this, this brain that's just, ooh, and these, and these big, bouncing, beautiful words, you know? <laughs> I, I, I hate to see her go, but I love to read a brilliantly written letter from her after she leaves. <laughs> He wrote in his autobiography, quote, Of no mean beauty, she stood out above all by reason of her abundant knowledge of letters. But Abelard was one guy in a long line of people trying to spend time with Heloise, so he needed to figure out how to cut to the front. So he puts his big brain to work, and he goes to Uncle Fulbert, and he's just like, oh, man, you know, it's uh, so hard to study at my place these days. The building's so loud, clanking pipes, you know. I got these chatty Cathy neighbors won't shut up. There's this cat just meows right outside my window every day. <laughs> oh, you know, honestly, it's not really the war. It's not really worth the rent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so expensive. I wish there was just some other simple solution that I c You know what? What's if I came to live with you, Fulbert? And like, instead of paying rent, I could do something useful for you. Like, I don't know, tutor Heloise <laughs> privately in a private mm -hmm. room. <laughs> well, well, well. And Fulbert is like, what a brilliant idea, young man. You truly are one of the most brilliant minds of our time. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, he let him come to live with them. And Heloise would not have been allowed at university at the time because, you know, she's a woman. You can't let women into the university building. <laughs> right. Um, she had also aged out of the convent education without actually becoming a nun. So kind of the only option was private tutorship for her at this point. So it's likely Fulbert was probably already thinking about that. And it's kind of like a perfect situation for Abelard to sweep in and be mm -hmm. like, I could do it. Abelard wrote, quote, her uncle's love for her was equaled only by his desire that she should have the best education which he could possibly procure for her. So sneaky Abelard exploited that to spend more time with Heloise alone. So they start studying like high schoolers, mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, Uncle Fulbert, we're going to go study in my room some more. And he's like, again, that's the third time you've studied today. <laughs> but I'm so glad you're learning so much from such a generous and intelligent tutor. <laughs> but of course, they only ever got like a page or two in before they start getting flirty. Abelard wrote, quote, her studies allowed us to withdraw in private as love desired. And then with our books open before us, more words of love than of reading passed between us, and more kissing than teaching. Ooh. 
And then it went from flirty to handsy as he wrote, quote, My hands strayed oftener to her bosom than to the pages. Love drew our eyes to look on each other more than reading kept them on our texts. Wow, he's just straight up groping her. <laughs> uh, hey, you know. She was probably like, yeah. Right? So, yeah, he saw her every single day, hours at a time. They were clearly making out, getting busy a lot, but they were also sluts for knowledge. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they did continue to take lessons. They continued to be wowed by each other's intelligence, probably also a little bit of a turn-on for sure, the other. Sure, sure. In The Letters of Abelard and Heloise, author Pierre Bale writes, quote, It is no difficult matter to make a girl of 18 fall in love. And Abelard, having such wit and agreeable humor, must needs make a greater progress in her affections than she did in the lessons which he taught her, so that in a short time she fell so much in love with him that she could deny him nothing. Her uncle even had a house in the country that they would sometimes go to under the pretense that they needed somewhere more focused for them to study. <laughs> right. And of course, that just turned into them breaking in every room in the house. <laughs> Sexy style. Right. I'm picturing their dirty talk is like real philosophical discourse. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Fuck me like the objective nature of reality is questionable. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I want to I wanna do bad things to you, but, but it's questionable whether bad things can exist at all if there's an all-powerful and just God in control of our actions and decisions. But if God is in control of our actions, then I guess it's God's will that I'm going to tie you to the bedpost and make you forget your own name. <laughs> Ooh, hot. Ow! Although, uh, we will just say, there is no historical evidence that either Heloise or Abelard liked to be tied up. <laughs> so this is all, you know, speculation station. <laughs> Abelard wrote that he compared them to starving people who were suddenly given a feast. Because uh, they were just doing it so much. Hmm. And his other pursuits started to suffer. His public performances were terrible. His lessons at school got distracted and repetitive. And he showed up less and less for his own classes. And people started to guess why. They were having such a hot time on their own, they let their guard down. And soon everybody's whispering about it. Bale writes that, quote, Only honest Fulbert, under whose nose all this was done, was the last man that heard anything of it. Common. People were out here telling Fulbert every day, hey, you know, your niece is hooking up with that teacher roommate you've got. Yeah. And he was just like, no, 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 no. They go into their room and they lock the doors for hours on end to study. <laughs> I'm telling you, they are enthralled with their lessons so much that they're always just screaming passionately <laughs> about how much they love learning. I can hear it through the walls day in and day out. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, their discourse. This is class. It's pretty, it's almost orgasmic, really. <laughs> But eventually, he starts to kind of catch on. He starts to think, okay, maybe there's something to all these rumors, but I'm going to prove them all wrong. So he watches Abelard and Heloise like a hawk day in and day out. And one day, he decides to do the old parent trick of accidentally walking in oh, yeah. on one of their study sessions. Right, like, right. I made you guys some sandwiches. Oh my goodness. You know. <laughs> and they were caught in the act and they jump up, they start pulling their pants on or their chemise or whatever <laughs> undergarments she had to wear. 
probably like, oh my, um, oh my gosh, great anatomy lesson today. Well done. <laughs> Such a brilliant student. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. We really focused on the bosoms today, but next yes. time it's downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I will teach you all of the different ways to examine the anatomy. Come sa. Come sa. <laughs> you know, a scientist's first tools are his hands. Oh. The second tool is his mouth. Oh. <laughs> uh, his other tool is, well, we'll get to that well, next week. Get to that. <laughs> and Fulbert was like so mad that he barely spoke sure, to either sure. of them. I'm sure he's feeling a tad bit embarrassed. Oh, yeah. He's remembering all the times he was like, you're crazy. He's telling all his friends, you're crazy. They would never. If that, if they're if they're screwing in there, I will eat my hat. <laughs> he starts like, oh, putting salt, salt on, on his, his hat. <laughs> he basically just said, I'm not happy, which is like the understatement of the year. Yeah. And Abelard and Heloise both knew, uh-oh, it's going to get a lot worse than that. How much worse? We'll find out right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So, Fulbert had barged in on Heloise and Abelard, and he was just furious and devastated. And the next day, he kicked Abelard out of the house. He's like, I'm done with this. You're screwing my niece. I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to take care of her. I let you in. I let you into my home. You know, I give you. I feed you every night. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't charge you rent. I trust you. You're my friend. You're sleeping with this girl out there, telling everybody you would never do something right. like that, making right. me look like an idiot. But Abelard had a plan. He was not going to take this lying down. He still needed to see Heloise. And this brings us to this episode's side piece. Can I help you? So Abelard got in touch with Heloise's maid, a woman named Agaton, and she was described as a pretty hot little thing. You know, she was she was a looker. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Bale said that she she would have made any man's head turn. Wow. A hot maid. Right. So Abelard offered her money to sneak correspondence between him and Heloise. And Agaton said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But you got to take me as your mistress. What? She told him she had been in love with him this whole time. And now she was blackmailing him into sleeping with her, basically. Damn. Abelard apparently didn't say anything. He just turned around and walked away. (laughs) It's like, I'm not even dignifying that with a response. Damn. Agaton was like, that hurt. That hurt hurt my feelings. (laughs) Well, Abelard was just totally devoted to Heloise. And I mean, like things weren't dramatic enough, you know, like he didn't need this extra level of crazy on top of everything else. Yeah, I see that. He's a smart guy. Yeah. He's not trying to. Oh, and can you imagine Fulbert? You're like, what? you're sleeping with my niece and my, and my maid? maid? Come on, man. <laughs> can I trust no one? <laughs> so yeah, Agaton is pissed that she got rejected by this guy after her perfectly reasonable proposal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a little blackmail. Come on. So she immediately went to Fulbert and sang like a canary. She <laughs> said, BT dubs, Abelard totally tried to bribe me to get him and Heloise together. So right. what you going to do? Mm-hmm. And Fulbert's like, oh, my God, thank you so much for telling me. I'm going to give you some extra money to keep them apart. Mm-hmm. So basically the opposite of what Abelard had asked right. her to do. And she still got her money. <laughs> and she still got her money. She didn't get her man, though. She did not get her man. <laughs> Sorry, girl. So Abelard goes to Heloise's singing instructor and offers him the same bribe. And this guy was totally into it. He sent letters between them 
where they arranged to meet after Abelard climbed over the garden wall at night. Very Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And when he came to see her, she gave him news neither of them were expecting. She was pregnant! What? Oh! How could this have happened? Oh, mystery! It could be the constant sex we're constantly having constantly. (laughs) Yeah! Pregnant? So unexpected. <laughs> I know she's like, I know we haven't gotten to this part of the book yet, but um, how are babies made? <laughs> so he came up with a plan. Abelard had a sister or possibly a brother by some accounts, but a sibling anyway, in Brittany in Western France. And he's like, let's sneak you out when your uncle's not around and you can go live with my sibling until the baby's born. And she's a little apprehensive about this, so Abelard promised her that he would marry her. He's he's into it. He wanted it. He knew it was the right thing to do. He's like, I love you. You're about to have my baby. Let's do this thing. And so he was absolutely stunned when she said, uh, no, not going to do that. Bale writes that this was really shocking and shows something really special about Heloise. Women at the time who were, quote, engaged in love intrigues, as he calls it. Love intrigues. <laughs> pretty much relied on three potential outcomes of these affairs. They either thought that they wouldn't get pregnant, fingers crossed, Mm -hmm. or that if they did, they would just hide the pregnancy from the world. Or, best case scenario, they would just end up marrying this guy, you know, whether they got pregnant or not. Right. Get married and all would be, she wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Now if I get pregnant, it's cool. Right, right, right. But Heloise had a passion so strong for Abelard that she didn't care about her honor or reputation. She felt that him marrying her would destroy his reputation and keep him from being able to advance in the church especially, because the church was really beginning to forbid marriage for anybody working in the higher orders of the clergy, which was definitely a potential direction for Abelard to be going. Mm -hmm. So she didn't want his career destroyed, but she also didn't want to be the girl who destroyed his career. Abelard wrote, quote, What penalties, she said, would the world right demand of her if she should rob it of so shining a light? (laughs) You know, like me, so shining a light. (laughs) He said those were her words. So Abelard does agree to, like, drop the marriage thing. And one day when Fulbert was gone, she disguised herself as a nun and snuck off for Brittany to stay with Abelard's sister. And I will say, not to contradict Peter Bale, who is surely a more learned man than I, uh-huh. but there have been herbs used to terminate a pregnancy oh, since right, the sure. dawn of time. Right, a- right, Abortion right. is nothing new. So it was a fourth option. Yeah, there is uh, yeah. definitely a fourth option. Yeah. And, but- and not many women... You know, weren't into it. It was certainly painful. It was not um, guaranteed that right. it would work. Right. But there were plenty of women who took part in it. And it's one of the reasons midwives were often, you know, uh, demonized, I guess, mm. by, by people because they were women who understood that and knew how to make that herbal treatment and right. would actually give you that option. Well, but not, not an option for Heloise at any rate. No. Not something no. she considered that we know of. But I just wanted to say it is historical precedent for abortion goes back many, 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 right. many, many, many generations. Right. I also think it's funny thinking of, you know, they didn't have phones back then. It's not like Abelard could have called up his sister and been like, hey, my girlfriend's coming. She's scared. Like, is it's she just going to show up one day? <laughs> she's like, uh, some pregnant lady says she's friends with your brother she's like oh another one of abelard's Uh-oh. <laughs> students showed up she's got like a a room full of young girls oh with babies 
No, 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 no. Not that, true. That would be funny, though. <laughs> like, oh, another student, eh? <laughs> Abelard straight up thought that after Heloise gave birth, she would be more into the idea of getting married. Mm. I mean, a baby is a huge reality check. Sure. And he also really thought that he had to make this all right in some way. So as soon as she was settled in Brittany, he went back to talk to Uncle Fulbert. Now, Uncle Fulbert had been totally grief-stricken that Heloise was gone. Yeah. He really cared about her, and he felt very betrayed by Abelard taking advantage of his generosity of letting him live there rent-free and everything to sneak around with her behind his back and knock her up and stuff. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'd be pissed, too. So when Abelard showed up and was like, hey, listen, I'm sorry for sneaking your niece away, but funny story... It's because she's pregnant and it's mine. Oopsie. <laughs> and Faubert went off. He lost his mind. He's shouting and screaming at him. Bale writes, quote, All the affronts, reproaches, and menaces that could be thought of were heaped upon Abelard. So he's taken a lot of verbal abuse there for a minute. And he just sat there. He took it quietly. He's nodding along like, uh-huh, yep, I did do that. I am a terrible man. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Everything you're saying. Yes. Yep. yep That's yep. me. Yep. Ooh, God. Ooh, I'd be mad, too. I'd be mad, too. <laughs> right. Trust me. So after Fulbert is, like, out of breath, he's, like, tired. He uh-huh. plopped down on a chair and mopped his forehead. <laughs> and he finally says, okay, well, you got to marry her now. And Ooh. Abelard thinks about how Heloise is going to react to that. Yeah. And he says, okay, cool, no problem. But how about we get married in secret? Right. And Fulbert begrudgingly agrees after Abelard points out, you know, I'm a disgrace for all this sneaking around I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about me and Heloise. Right. Um, if I marry Heloise in public, that means you're going to be related to me, the disgrace, which means you're a disgrace. So that would be <laughs> bad for you, actually. This is all about you. I'm thinking about you. Right. <laughs> My shame, your shame. We don't want that. Yeah, so Fulbert was like, okay, there's a lot in that, I guess. So uh, fine, we can do it in secret. Ever the master of debate, that's (laughs) Abelard. I mean, he really was. That's that's one of the things with him is every time he gets in a room with somebody, things go the way he wants. Now, here's my question about that. Was he very good at it? Or would he just never stop talking until you agreed with him? (laughs) Finally, you're like, okay, fine. You're right. Get out of my house. (laughs) I think you could definitely propose that to historians and see if they will accept it as a new I just I know some debaters like that (laughs) where you're like, I don't think you're right, but I am not ready to sit here for the amount of time it's going to take me to talk you down from this mountain. (laughs) I think we're related to some of them. Yeah. So, of course, Heloise isn't happy about this. She had said, I don't want to get married. That's not my thing. It doesn't sound cool. And that her dad and boyfriend made an arrangement. And you can see where Abelard was like, but it'll be secret. So it's okay. No one will know. It won't hurt my reputation. Mm -hmm. Everything will be fine. But in addition to her concern for Abelard's career, she was also just kind of against the idea of marriage in general. Mm -hmm. She saw it as very transactional. And she didn't want this sort of tedious, typical life of a married couple that she had in her mind. She wrote, quote, the name of wife may seem more sacred or binding, but sweeter for me will always be the word mistress or, if you'll permit me, that of concubine or whore. I she said, love it. I'd rather be a whore than, than a, a wife. wife. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Yes, especially for like educated, noble person of this time. 
for a woman to say yeah. that. Well, and you have to, I mean, again, you know, you're talking about having a stereotypical idea of marriage in uh-huh. your head, especially at that time. Right. Which meant, okay, now you're married. So yeah. all your stuff belongs to your husband. Yep. Your body belongs to your husband. Yep. Your kids belong to your husband. If he decides to leave you, sucks to be you. Yep. You can't get another man because you're still married. And then you'll look like a whore anyway. <laughs> and like, at least... I'm not saying that the life of a medieval prostitute was great, but it was a job. You had your own money. You got paid up front. I mean, (laughs) you know, there's something to be said for the freedom, the relative freedom that must look like, you know, somebody who's unattached. Yeah. Who's like, as long as she's feeling not like she's going to get thrown into the street or something like that. Being like, I'd rather you just come visit me. We have our good times. And then you head on back to work and I get my work done. Right. I can kind of see it. She also pointed out that nothing was ever going to make her uncle happy. No matter what agreements they made, he was still he was. It's never going to be enough for him. Mm. And she also said, quote, how can the study of divinity and philosophy comport with the cries of children, the songs of nurses and the hurry of a family? Those who are rich are never disturbed with the care and charges of housekeeping, but with you scholars, it is far otherwise. <laughs> so she straight up was wow. like, look, if you could afford to pay somebody to do all this shit, okay. then it'd be one thing, uh-huh. but you're a teacher. Yeah, and, and I ain't doing it. And I ain't doing it. She's like, I'm not about to have our only arguments from now on be about household shit. Right, <laughs> right. No. <laughs> so Abelard dropped it again, and he stayed in Brittany with her. And it was there some months later that she gave birth to a son, and they named the child Astrolabe. Look, they were creative thinkers, okay? They loved science (laughs) and nerdy shit, and they certainly loved being unconventional. So they named their son after the scientific instrument used to determine the position of the stars and planets. Duh. (laughs) Hey, it's better than whatever Elon Musk and Grimes named that kid. AX111 or some shit. But... Same energy. <laughs> same energy. Yeah. Same Grimes and Elon Musk energy going on. Although I have to say, Astrolabe's kind of a cool name. Oh, no. Astrolabe is super cool. I might name a kid Astro. <laughs> Astro? Yeah, I guess it'd be Astro for short. Yeah. I mean, you'd call him Astro. Yeah. Right? Labe is a weird labe sound is for not a name. A good sound. No. I don't feel like Labe should be. I don't know anybody who's got the word Labe in their name. If they did, they probably changed it by now. <laughs> <laughs> After a few months, they left Astrolabe with Abelard's family, who were wealthy landowners with several kids of their own. So they were like, sure, more the merrier. (laughs) And they went back to Paris to face old man Fulbert. And on the way back, Abelard was like, listen, Heloise, your uncle is going to be really, really, really mad if we don't get married. Like, bad news, bad. Yeah. So finally, Heloise is like, fine, secret marriage, but super, super, super secret. I'm not thrilled about it. I don't want anybody there. Don't write shit down. Right. I don't want a card from no one. Uh Uh-huh. And when they get back to Paris, they get together with Uncle Flaubert. Just a couple of friends were there, and they have this tiny little quiet wedding. And of course, it's not long before the rumors start spreading People all over town are whispering like, oh, hey, I heard I heard that Heloise and Abelard had a kid and got married. Oh, oh, I heard they've been doing it this whole time he was teaching her. Oh, I heard they named their kid Gyrosphere. Gyrosphere. You know how telephone games go. Everything's a little (laughs) different. But 
when Fulbert heard this, when her uncle heard these rumors, mm-hmm. he totally dropped his promise to keep it secret and was just like, oh, yeah, they're married. Absolutely, they're married. Sure. Uh, of course, they're married. They have a kid together and everything and just spilled the beans. Well, he's a canon at a cathedral. Yeah. One of the murky things about this story is the differences in what they saw for this marriage, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, Heloise saw it as a really bad thing because Abelard was in line to join this religious study and he shouldn't be having a wife and kids. It would ruin his career and his reputation. So if they had been doing it this whole time and were now married with a kid, he looks terrible. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like that. And of course, it could mean any number of things for her. Right. You know, whereas Fulbert is thinking, well, you guys had a kid together. You should be married. That's the right thing to do. Form a family. Do the thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really just an issue of perspective here. Yeah. A lot of it. So when those rumors got to Heloise, she did everything she could to shoot them down. As she was like, no, Abelard never asked me to marry him. And if he did, I would have said no. And he's a good guy, and he's like going to be a great man one day. He's got nothing to do with me. He's a great teacher. He's a good friend. That's it. And she denied it so persistently that people believed her. The rumors started to kind of fizzle. Now it's getting back to full bear that nobody believes it anymore. Ugh. And they're saying, oh, she's, no, she's not married. She's, there's no baby, blah, blah, blah. And full bear is furious about this. He's totally pissed off because now not only are there like, two sides floating around. So now there's probably people thinking that she's she's out here getting laid and having kids mm. out of wedlock mm. and that this guy took advantage of his niece and now that makes him look foolish. And he is really mad that she's denying these rumors. He goes off on her, just like he did with Abelard, and he's screaming and yelling about how she needs to let people know they were married, and then he beat her. Now, Abelard got word of this, and once again, he arranged for Heloise to escape Fulbert's house, dressed as a nun, and he scurried her off to her old monastery in Argentoy, where she had grown up. So she was going to live there as a guest with the nuns. And the sisters there loved her. Mm-hmm. They'd heard all the rumors too, right? I mean, Abelard's famous, Heloise is famous. Everybody's heard these rumors. Right, but, like um, him and Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson oh, holding yeah. hands a few days. Uh-huh. Before, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone in <laughs> everyone in France what? <laughs> knows what's going on. But they were like, you know, your business is your business, girl. <laughs> That's like, between you and God. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, if I don't want answers, I'm not going to ask questions. Smart. You know, some of them, the the sisters that really liked her, even helped her arrange private meetings with Abelard in the convent, <gasps> like oh. alone. So speculation station, I'm just thinking these nuns were so sex starved that they were just like, as long as somebody's getting laid around here, I'm happy. They were like, <laughs> you know? please go into this room where I definitely don't have an eye hole gouge oh, to watch no. you from behind the wall. Oh, the nuns are perverts. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Move out of the way, Sister Mary. You've looked long enough. It's my turn. We've but- got to put some more holes in this wall. <laughs> There's so many of us here. <laughs> One day, Heloise walks in and she's like, there are so many holes in my wall. What is happening? There seems to be a new one every day. (laughs) But Fulbert, meanwhile, was just getting angrier and angrier every day. He was convinced that Abelard had actually grown tired of Heloise and didn't want to deal with her. And that's why he sent her off to the convent. So that really pissed him off. Mm -hmm. And Fulbert's reaction to this was 
unbalanced, mm. we'll say. What horrific act did he decide to take out on Abelard in retribution? Brace yourselves, and we'll find out right after this. Ooh. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink that's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. 
For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, welcome back to Act 3, everybody, where it gets a little crazy. (laughs) A little dicey? Oh. So Uncle Fulbert had this made-up idea that Abelard sent Heloise away because he was bored with her and not, you know, because of Fulbert beating her. Right. So in his madness, he went out and hired a group of assassins. Oh, no. And we'll let Abelard's own words describe what happened next. Quote, Violently incensed, they laid a plot against me, and as I lay sleeping, they broke in with the help of one of my servants whom they had bribed. There they had vengeance on me with a most cruel and most shameful punishment, such as astounded the whole world. For they cut off those parts of my body with which I had done that which was the cause of their sorrow. Oh, God. In layman's terms... They snipped his balls off. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. The um the like snipping of his balls or the like seven dangling participles at the end of that sentence. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> they cut off those parts of my body with which I had done that which was the cause of their sorrow. Like All right, buddy. I, I thought you were mean... supposed to be a, a, an orator. <laughs> the grammar back in the day was very like When you got this angled. is probably three translations deep, you know? Very true. Too, so. so true. It's like old French to regular French to English uh-huh. by Bing. <laughs> by, Bing. <laughs> by way of Bing. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty horrific punishment, yeah. all things considered. Yeah. And obviously, this was not a painless process <laughs> or anything. So he was screaming so loudly that the neighbors came running and they found him and rushed him to a doctor who saved him from bleeding out. Yeah, and the next day, of course... Everybody had learned what would what had happened. I yeah, mean, the rumor mill was for real back in the day. Look, if they heard about these two maybe having sex in a room by themselves, then they definitely heard about this, <laughs> you know, public castration <laughs> that several people saw the results of. <laughs> so, the thing is, he's getting all the sympathy. Like everybody in Paris is like, this is horrific because it is. I mean, it's Paris. Yeah, <laughs> like, your balls. You need those for oh, more. It's also for love. <laughs> How dare someone snip the love from you? This is Paris. The scholars at his school, quote, loudly bewailed his misfortune, and friends and strangers alike came by to comfort him. And I mean, these assassins must have sucked at disguising themselves because they were immediately all rounded up, (laughs) and they were condemned to not only be castrated themselves, but also to lose their eyeballs. Ouch! So, you know, just like Hammurabi's code... An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, two balls and two eyes for two balls. <laughs> wow. That's, just, that's fair's fair. They were like, listen, you want to fuck around with balls, so you're going to get in yes. trouble. So Fulbert himself, I think through his political connections, managed to dodge any legal responsibility. He totally denied having, having any involvement. Oh. But everybody in town knew that he was behind it. And he ended up basically resigning from his position in shame, and he mostly disappears from history at this point. 
Man, full bear really was made to look like a fool bear. Oh, many fool, times fool bear. in this, because he was like, "Oh, they ain't fucking. What they're fucking? <laughs> what? No, I'll beat her up. No, that didn't work. Uh-huh. Now they've spirited her away. <laughs> I'm gonna get some guys together to cut his balls. And now everybody knows that. Jesus, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, he was a reactionary guy, and it didn't yeah, go well for him. Not long-headed. You know, gotta stop and think for a second. Take so a breath. True. So true. Before you cut somebody's balls off, you know, <laughs> take, take a, a breath. breath. So a friend of Abelard wrote to him basically saying, hey, buddy, you know, this ain't so bad. I mean, you know, you're going to get so much sympathy now. Everybody's going to be on your side and people are going to give money to like your school or your church or wherever you end up. Plus, you know, those balls were really distracting you. So now you can focus more on your work. (laughs) Just like it reminds me of uh, in our Governor Morris episode. Yes. When he got his leg screwed up by a carriage and his friend wrote to him and said it's too bad they didn't take your dick off because then you would have been a a little more level headed, (laughs) a little more focused. I mean, right? It's surprising that Appelard did not immediately burn this letter from this job's (laughs) comforter (laughs) over here. Guy's just trying to find the silver lining, you know. I guess. (laughs) He's like, here, here, well, I hope it's not so bad. I'll cut your balls off and you can tell me how happy you are about it. That you're not so distracted. (laughs) It's likely that Heloise's friends at the convent heard about this castration and all this stuff and just didn't tell her about it for a while. But she did find out eventually, and she was heartbroken. Although she loved him no less, and she never imagined Fulbert would go to this kind of extreme for punishment. I mean, who would? I, I wouldn't, That would never cross my mind no. that somebody would get no. their balls chopped off. That's crazy. Yeah. Abelard, meanwhile, mostly felt shame. And as soon as he was on the mend, he completely retreated from the public eye and decided to become a monk at the Abbey of Saint-Denis in Paris. And he cut off all communication with anyone except Heloise, and he tried to just settle into monk life and be quiet and reflective and spiritual, which lasted no time at all before he got (laughs) super bored and started studying and writing again. Oh, yeah. You can't take a book lover away from their books. No. You know, they're not going to be like, you know what? I'm done with what I devoted my life to. I'm just going to sit here quietly. Right. No. Well, and more more than that, you can't take an argumentative, opinionated yeah. guy and, and be like, just sit and reflect. Like, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> I'm going to reflect on lots of stuff, but I like to share my reflections yeah. with others. And tell other people why their reflections are wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he seemed to only find joy in prodding and irritating the other monks, <laughs> probably by telling them their reflections were wrong. Uh-huh. And he got himself kicked out for historical heresy, of course. Of course, of course. (laughs) And so he built a little hut, basically out of sticks and mud, and became a hermit. But when rumors got out about where he was, students started flocking to him. So the hut was rebuilt out of wood and stone into a full-on place of study, and that's where he opened the Oratory of the Paraclete. They just came running to his little mud hut. They were probably like... Listen, you don't know about this guy. He lives off the beaten track. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has gone completely back to nature. He's it is so the cool. most cool cleansing thing <laughs> that you can do. So I say we all go to his yurt and learn together. It's that thing where you like you you're trying so hard to to get away from people and have people stop loving you and that just makes them more obsessed with right. you. Right. That kind of reminds me of the Mado Lal, Shah Hussein Mado oh, Lal, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was like his whole thing was like, don't follow me because that makes me look like I'm self-centered. 
And then people were like, oh, we should follow that guy because he's not self-centered. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no. <laughs> so Heloise is still living at Argenteuil, and she had decided to go ahead and become a full-on nun as well. Hmm. Now, there's some sources that say Abelard coerced her to do this out of jealousy so that she wouldn't go off and marry anyone else. He, he spoke to her after he decided to become a monk and was like, hey, uh, you should become a nun too. Mm -hmm. Some sources say that she was resistant to this and that he mm -hmm. talked her into it. But others say that she really wouldn't have had much choice otherwise, and it's likely that she would have wanted to do this because she pretty much had, again, limited options. Mm -hmm. She could either go back to Uncle Fulbert, which she obviously didn't want to do, or she could have gone to live with Abelard's family in Brittany, which, I mean, sure, but sounds like it might be dull and she would just be out in the countryside not really engaging much. Or she could have divorced Abelard and remarried someone else. Mm -hmm. But that would have been very boring to her because at this time it was getting really trendy and expected for scholars to also remain celibate. You know, if you're like she wanted for him, like you devote your life to study. You don't have a wife. You don't have a family. Yeah. <laughs> you're just supposed to study. So you lose your balls. It's great news. Now <laughs> you can work more. Yeah. So her potential husbands would have all been non-academic dum-dums, mm. which would have made her very miserable. And yeah, they yeah. probably wouldn't have wanted a woman to be smart anyway. Definitely not. So really not a lot of great options for her here. But being a nun meant she could continue being an academic. It meant she could stay culturally relevant and be involved in all these conversations about where the country was headed. And it was the only way she'd be able to keep a relationship with Abelard. You know, he's a monk. She's a nun. It makes sense that they're writing to each other and corresponding. Yeah, yeah. Well, plus, it's weird to say that, like, he was like, hey, I'm jealous that you might marry someone else when she was like, I'm in love with you and I won't marry you. Why oh, would, yeah. Why would she be, like, interested in... Very good Some point. other rando. Absolutely. So at Argenteuil, she rose the ranks from nun to prioress, which is like second in command to the abbess. Mm -hmm. uh, second in command. I know. It sounds like <laughs> report for duty. Right. She's like, someone didn't do their prayers, so you have to tell them to do a few Hail Marys. Right, right. And while she was there, she and Abelard exchanged letters regularly. Abelard was elected to be the abbot of the abbey in St. Gildas in Brittany back near his hometown. So he left the oratory of Periclete and went there to be the abbot. And after the convent at Argenteuil was shut down, he arranged for Heloise to be transferred to his old spot, the oratory of the Periclete, where she eventually became the abbess. So now she's in the place he opened. She's mm -hmm. running the show and he's back in another monastery on the other side of France. So they had no contact with each other for almost 12 years. But when Heloise heard about Abelard's little autobiography, The History of My Calamities, she immediately sent word. Like we said, the text was written as a letter and originally was sent to his friend Philantus. So she wrote and was like, um, hey, maybe you should have written this to me. <laughs> right. Sort of a big part of the story uh -huh. of the calamities. I'm, I'm kind of your main calamity. I know. <laughs> buddy. So, hello, calamity <laughs> calling. <laughs> and what followed were a series of letters. Honestly, we would totally read you these, but many of them are longer than the script for this entire episode. Seriously. Because we're talking about a monk and a nun who had nothing better to do but sit and read 20-page letters and then respond with their own 20-page fucking letter. They're so long. <laughs> they're insanely long with every thought. Uh -huh. And they had a lot of thoughts. Yep. 
And I'm sure that he was like, oh, actually, your point in the last letter was not that great because of these reasons. And she's oh, like, yeah. Okay. They were thick with debate and dialectic <laughs> conversation. Well, that's what they liked about each other so much. I'm sure Oh yeah, sure. you would want to sure. keep that. I probably couldn't keep yourself from no, writing that not. kind of stuff to each but other. But they are, are available on Project Gutenberg. So yeah. if you want to go find them, you sure. can. Yeah, if you got time to read, they had time to write. So uh-huh. feel free to check that out. Uh, They definitely go back and forth a lot about the struggle between their passion for each other and then their new extreme religious devotion. Right. Which would be very interesting because, of course, if you're in the church and they're like, you're not supposed to be feeling horny feelings. And you were already questioning free will and God's destiny and all this stuff. Right. Like, well, why would you put it in me if I'm not supposed to feel it? I mean, it would definitely be fascinating conversation to have with the person Mm -hmm. that you actually feel those feelings with. Absolutely. He writes to her, quote, I promise that I will forget you, and yet I cannot think of it without loving you. She writes back, Even during the celebration of Mass, when our prayers should be purer, lewd visions of those pleasures take such a hold upon my unhappy soul that my thoughts are on their wantonness instead of on prayers. I mean, yeah. Because you've got people telling you, no more sex. you got to stop thinking about sex. And she's like, God, boy, I, I had quite a few years there where I was having the craziest, most insane, Incredible. on top of every piece of furniture, <laughs> private house in the country, uh-huh. nonstop sex. Hot teacher sex. All the time, right? There was some marketing thing where it's you say, don't think of pink elephants. Yeah. And the first thing you think of, of course, is right. pink elephant. Right. Because if you tell someone not to think about something... They're immediately going to only think about that. 100%. So Heloise asks Abelard to move back to the paraclete and live with her. But he writes back that this is too scandalous and they need to set all their horniness aside and focus on their spirituality. And she counters that with some scripture and philosophy and says basically, what's the point in any of this if we can't enjoy each other's company? But he writes back and really shuts it down with, quote, If you are anxious to please me in everything as you claim, you must rid yourself of these feelings. If it persists, you can neither please me nor attain bliss with me. And from then on, their correspondence gets to be more about religious study and piety and philosophy and things like that. Historians look at their letters as this incredible firsthand account of their complicated love and how dangerous this kind of passion was for powerful people in the church. Because mm-hmm. they're such a threat to themselves, and yet they want each other so badly. Right. Um, and I think that's where Abelard really was, maybe because he was castrated, I don't know. But he was, you know, at some point just like, I, I got to I gotta be real about this. And it's one or the other. And we can either keep running around in this fantasy land mm-hmm. and trying to sneak around as a monk and a nun, a very high up. I mean, not even a monk and a nun, an abbot and an abbess. Right. Uh, right. That's that, that's not really good. And I, I think he was really scared. He had suffered quite a bit of punishment at this point. Oh, yeah. And as much as he loved getting kicked out of school and then coming <laughs> back and showing everybody what's up, I think he was probably a little more like he'd suffered some abuse at this point and He was a little more timid. Yeah. And he's like, look, I, I just I don't want to keep this going because what happens when somebody else gets mad what's yeah. what's next what are they going to cut off next <laughs> there you know? you go. or even if we're just excommunicated and we have to live in the woods like I, I, that's not something i'm willing to to do um and also i think he also felt to some degree pretty legit about his piety and was like i swore not to do that yeah and i don't have the equipment so much anymore either so look this is just off the table 
Well, and I wonder, too, if it's like, if we keep talking about it, it only makes it harder. Yeah. So I'd rather yeah. not talk about it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's nice to know that we both love each other and that we still have sure. these feelings. But since we can't act on them without totally blowing up our whole life, yeah. lives and also maybe my oath to God that I take very seriously yep. or whatever else, you know, I'd just rather not talk about it at all and just limit ourselves to the things we can both actually really be passionate about, which is words, <laughs> theology and philosophy yeah. and stuff like that. It reminds me of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, oh. where uh, Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker, mm -hmm. and Emma Stone, Gwen Stacy, yes. you know, have agreed, like, we can't do this. We just have to be friends. So let's just hang out and be friends. Right. And it didn't last because, nope. I mean, look at the two of them. Come on. Hey. Are you kidding me? He kisses her in a supply closet. You kidding me? Her eyes crossed. <laughs> her eyes crossed. They really did cross. Like, we yeah. were like, oh, <laughs> Emma Stone had a reaction to that kiss. That movie's so good. So good. Now, you know, we just said that maybe Abelard was a little more timid than he used to be. But don't get it twisted. He <laughs> continued to get in trouble all the time with religious higher-ups yep. for teaching secular philosophy alongside his religious teaching. Yeah. So people kept accusing him of heresy, particularly for using logic in religious study where logic serves no place. <laughs> <laughs> well, in specific studies where it was like, you're trying to use logic to explain the actions of God or something, but he doesn't apply, he doesn't abide by these logical rules. So it's, mm -hmm. that's heretical to try and explain, to even try to explain these things is heretical. Right. And it's just a, there's so much detail about Abelard fighting with various religious institutions at this time. And it is, it's one of these things where I think unless you're a theologian, mm -hmm. uh, it's, such minutiae and little sure. details about like, well, your interpretation of this sentence is outrageous and we will kick you out of the Catholic Church for thinking so. Right. You know, so it was very, uh, very particular group of people, very sensitive about their interpretations. Yes. Well, and it still happens today, right? Where people are like, well, listen, like, I don't know. I read this thing in the Bible. It makes no sense to me. And yeah. I don't know why you would want to worship a guy who does something like this story that's laid out here. And then you have the church that goes, well, why are you asking questions? Just accept it yeah. and have faith. And then you have the other churches that are sort of going, well, let's sit down and talk about right. that. What does that mean? Right. Like, what could that mean? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? Yeah. You know, and kind of it works for different people, I yeah. guess, um, depending on your own sense of logic or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's common. He, I think he'd still be getting in trouble today. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> for the same reason. Uh, he was even briefly excommunicated by P Pope Innocent II, and his books were ordered to be burned. But a friend of his got his excommunication lifted as long as Abelard lived at his monastery and kept his damn mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1142, at 63 years old, Abelard fell ill, possibly with mange or scurvy, and he died from fever. And after he died, Heloise hiked up her habit, marched right up to the Pope, and got him to clear Abelard's heresy charges. There you go. Nice. She's yeah. like, don't put some respect on his name. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and she commanded a lot of respect. Heloise continued to run the paraclete, and she took it upon herself to reform monastic life for the growing number of women who were taking the cloth, probably because it's the only place they could get educated. Right. You know? She wrote Problemata, or Heloise's Problems, which was this letter and it was 42 questions about difficult passages in scripture that she had asked Abelard. Mm -hmm. 
And when she got his responses, uh, she published it with his answers. And she used the text and the dialectic arguments that she'd learned from him to establish new standards for not only her own Abbey, but for Abbeys everywhere. Hmm. And it, it was not this like new liberal set of rules for abbeys that were just, oh, now that now that there's more women, we can just live however we want. It was very strict. You should definitely arrange private meetings between your favorite <laughs> nun and her boyfriend. No, no, no. She wouldn't allow anything like that. They mm-hmm. kept a very strict dress code. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was very strict what nuns had to wear. Although at Heloise's insistence, they were allowed two sets of clothing. Um, she said, quote, to keep the vermin out. She was like, let us wash our clothes. Right? Please I mean, that's... give us a second set of clothes so we can wash one and wear the other. Yeah, that seems smart to me. Right. She's like, we all got fleas up in here <laughs> trying to pray. So she did get that hap- to happen. Uh, they, But they, she set a rule for very strict vegetarian diets. Mm-hmm. And like if you ever left the monastery without permission, you'd be punished by only being given bread and water for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And if you broke your vow of celibacy, you would be severely beaten and kicked out of the church and never to rejoin. Wow. So, you know, again, it was pretty strict rules and kind of uncomfortable. But what matters for scholars is that This was an important moment because she was a woman who stepped into the role of a rule maker. And she was someone who used her education and her intelligence to change these systems, you know, sort of by women for women. She was, through Abelard's advice, creating rules for women. And that was something that women hadn't really had the opportunity to do up until this point. So between this and her unconventional views on marriage and the dynamic between men and women, she is considered a foundational figure in modern feminism. In recent decades, as her story is explored more, historians are seeing her as a woman of power and insight, especially in those years after Abelard's death, when she was an abbess. Mm -hmm. Just a very, very significant figure. Like we said at the beginning of the episode, in recent years, historians have been looking for more women in history to talk about because yeah. they're there and they're they're They either didn't get their records kept or people just didn't dig them up or didn't care when they found them. Right. So now we're getting a lot more about Heloise and how cool she was. Or tried to downplay right, their life right, or, right. or fully lie mm-hmm. about their life. Like I know Elizabeth of Bathory now, people are really questioning all oh, that, wow, all that okay. bloodbath stuff with her because they were like, she was unpopular. People wanted to make her look bad. Mm-hmm. So it's not po- it's possible none of that's true. It's possible some of it's true, but not all of it. It's just interesting, as we've talked about before, mm-hmm. where you're going through history and you realize a lot of it is just basically shade medium post yeah. that some idiot wrote and it just happens to have lasted. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And so we're like, well, I guess that guy was a dick. And I'm like, <laughs> no, actually that was just his worst enemy that wrote his life right, down right. or something. It's funny. I, I think of also, not really on that note, but Clementine Churchill, sure. um, who just didn't go to the effort to make herself historically known. Yeah. And now we're looking back and seeing what she did and we're like, oh my God, she was incredibly influential. And like historically significant. And you can see that in history, too. Right. Is that I'm sort of thinking that with Heloise, Mm -hmm. you know, there's when you're a wife and mother, that's a role, a very specific role that you're supposed to play. And there's no room for you to also be a a, a renowned scholar. Yeah. Um, At least in her mind in that time, you know, it's it's the role. Yeah. And there's no way to expand that role necessarily. Right. Very easily, at least. And so. 
someone like Clementine might also have, in her time, the idea of, well, I'm a woman. I'm supposed to stand behind my man, do my yep. best for him, make sure everything's good, and keep my fucking trap shut about yep. it. Women don't brag. Yeah. That's not a thing. We're not we're supposed to be modest and um, humble. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So why would she? It would seem very weird of her to put herself forward like that and yeah. toot in her own horn. Like That would not be an attractive quality in a woman at that time. So you kind of have to fight not only the fact that men were keeping the records— and that they weren't necessarily writing about the women, but also that women weren't necessarily considering themselves worth hi- right. talking about in history because that would be such an unbecoming thing for them to think right, about themselves, right. you know. Go back and check out that Clementine Churchill episode with yeah. Winston Churchill. That is really fascinating mm-hmm. if you haven't heard it. So Heloise died about 20 years later, very close to the same age as Abelard. Though the details are murky as to exactly when or why, and her resting place is debated too— What's known is that after Abelard's death, she had his bones moved to the paraclete and entombed there, and she wished to be buried alongside him after her own death. Reportedly, they were kind of moved around several times, including in 1804 to the Elysee Gardens in Paris, where Napoleon and Josephine paid tribute to them. And it's believed that they currently lie in Père Lachaise Cemetery, Um, A tomb stands there for them, complete with two full-length stone sculptures of a monk and a nun. The paraclete themselves claim that their bodies are still there and that Père Lachaise is just like a monument. There's no bones underneath Mm -hmm. their statues or anything like that. Other scholars believe that Abelard is in Père Lachaise and Heloise's resting place is unknown. Um, I hope they're together, buried together somewhere. Yeah. Myself, but... If you it's have not known for sure. If you have any information as to the whereabouts <laughs> of Abelard and Heloise's bones, uh, write to write to dot com. We, we get a guy who's like living in Wisconsin. He's like, yeah, you know what? I just renovated my basement, and there was a couple skeletons down there. <laughs> yeah. Turns out, dressed as a monk one and a nun. One of Heloise. In seventeen seventeen, the poet Alexander Pope wrote a very long verse titled "Eloisa to Abelard," which is based on their story. And it talks about their inherent incompatibility in their religious circumstances and how challenging the memories of their passionate years together are while they're supposed to be all married to God now. Mm -hmm. And this theme of wanting to forget someone you love dearly because it's too painful now comes up in a modern movie that takes its title from a line in this poem. So let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear just a brief piece from Pope's Eloisa to Abelard. How happy is the blameless Vestal's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, each prayer accepted and each wish resigned, labor and rest that equal periods keep, obedient slumbers that can wake and weep, desires composed, affections ever even, tears that delight and sighs that waft to heaven. Grace shines around her with serenest beams, and whispering angels prompt her golden dreams. For her the house prepares the bridal ring, for her white virgins hymenials sing, for her the unfading rose of Eden blooms, and wings of seraphs shed divine perfumes. To sounds of heavenly harps she dies away, and melts in visions of eternal day. 
So there you go. If you've ever seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm -hmm. um, and if you haven't, you should. Great movie. Um, but very much about those challenging memories. And there's a lot of that in their letters to each other. Mm -hmm. um, Heloise especially talks about how difficult it is to remember all these passionate, wonderful times they had together, knowing that they're in a position now where that's not something they're going to be able to recreate. Yeah. And that's, I think, the the sort of tragedy of their story, um, you know, in addition to the mutilation. I mean. <laughs> that they had such an incredible thing and then lived so long in a world where it was forbidden afterwards. Yeah. And Astrolabe, just briefly, there's not a ton about him, but he did go into the religious order. He became an abbot himself eventually. Oh. Uh, yeah. Father-like so, son. Yeah. Yes. And he was, you know, everybody knew who his father was and, and parents were. And they, you know, he was known to be the son of of Abelard and went on to be an abbot himself. You think there were other monks that were like, they made Astrolabe the abbot? I wonder why. <laughs> Couldn't have anything to do with his dad, I guess. If only my dad was freaking Abelard. Yeah, there's not a ton of nepotism in a in a place where you're not allowed to have children. Yeah, I guess that's so true. It's just, it must have been very shocking like, to have one. Whoa! Whoa, this is not what happens. But wait a minute. He's got a dad. <laughs> well, none of us have dads. <laughs> Or that doesn't like. seem very fair. <laughs> oh wow, what a what a what a really fascinating story. And I mean, I hate to say it, but we're we're scraping the surface on this one. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. lot more. Their letters, y'all, go maybe dig up some of their letters because they are a long read, and they're dense, and they're it's not like they're beautiful words of passionate love. But I found Heloise especially um, to be very insightful. And how do we deal with this? Yeah. was kind of a common question. She got really mad at him sometimes in these letters. And he was very dismissive sometimes in his because I think that she was looking for a fantasy in some way. Like maybe there's a way where we can live a, a, a fraction of this. If you come live here mm -hmm. at the Abbey, then we can kind of pretend like we still have this. Yeah. And he was very much, again, just very dialectic about it, very objective and like, no, I'm not going to add emotion into this argument or anything subjective about our feelings. It's just that doesn't logically make sense. So we shouldn't do it. So frustrating when you're talking about something emotional. And right. He's like, right. let's take all the emotion out of this. And it's like, <laughs> well, if there was no emotion, there would be no problem. Right. The, the, the problem is that we have feelings for each other. Yeah. That is the problem. Yeah. So you can't take the feelings out. Otherwise, we, what are we talking about? You can't tie somebody down to the bed and cut off their feelings. You can't do you it. You know? Do you think, if given the choice between his feelings and his balls, <laughs> that Abelard would have chosen feelings? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I could speculate on that. He really loved sex. I know. I feel like he might have taken the balls. Yeah. I feel like he might have been like, leave me the balls. I can have emotionless sex, <laughs> but I can't have sexless emotion. Wow. Hey, he was a philosopher. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, and in another weird Charlie Kaufman reference, uh, mm -hmm. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, written by him, also being John Malkovich, which is an amazing movie, mm -hmm. uh, that features the scene where John Cusack is doing a puppet show for some kids, yeah. and it, he's doing the story of Abelard and Heloise in that. For children? And, and does the castration, <laughs> and the, the girl who's watching the puppet show, her dad walks up and sees it, and then 
beats the shit out of John Cusack. Right, because he's like, why are you showing this to kids? You so, nuts. Charlie Kaufman, clearly a fan of the Heloise and Havillard story. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. And I hope you're a big fan of this story, too. Yeah. I found it fascinating that there's so much more you can learn about these folks. A, a huge, I mean, you could do just a whole miniseries, a six-hour podcast, an HBO TV show, five seasons long, about these two and their whole crazy story. Um, mm. So if you want to learn more about them, I, I definitely suggest uh, doing some further research because it, it's it's a beautiful and difficult story for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, please tell us what you think about this story, about mm-hmm. any of our ramblings, about Charlie Kaufman, whatever. Just reach out. We love hearing from you. Our email is romance at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And the show is at Ridic Romance. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, Barbara and Allison, you enjoyed our retelling of this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much for the suggestion. It was totally an awesome story to dive into. So yep. thank you for that. And we'll be back with a new episode post-haste. Can't wait. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. 
I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.